And thank you for joining the Aaron Warner podcast on iCode Media. Today, I talk with my good friend, Joe Deloach, on a hot topic, uh, and that is optometry co-management. And is it on trial? We talk about uh, what it is, why there's so much focus on it right now, and what, uh, what the rules of the game are so that we can continue to take care of our patients, refer to our surgeons, and do everything above board and uh, really streamline the process. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. We always want you to be part of the conversation. So please leave a comment, share with a friend, of course, leave a five-star review, and also be sure to support those who support us. This year, we proudly introduced the Life Meter to our practice in response to our staff's passionate demand for enhanced patient care. Their firsthand experience with the Life Meter underscored the crucial link between proper diet, carotenoid supplementation, and visual health and performance. Our front desk team now measures every patient's skin carotenoid levels, providing valuable education on each score and the significance of carotenoids in ocular performance and health. The result? Patients love the enhanced experience, and our MacuHealth sales have doubled since implementing LifeMeter. To discover more, contact your MacuHealth representative or click on the link in the show notes. So we are talking about, uh, I don't know if you picked up on that when we started recording, but Joe knows this topic inside and out, and that is uh, optometry co-management on trial. <laughs> so uh, super hot, hot topic. Uh, I know that all of my surgeons and I have had lots of conversations recently, but uh, that's just conversations. So let's, uh, let's go to the expert. And Joe, we want to talk about surgical co-management from an optometry, private practice optometry perspective. Be glad to. Um, what uh, what alligators do we need to watch out for here? What pitfalls are we in? Um, well, it's really pretty simple. I mean, if, if you if you go back to the background, it makes more sense um, about you know where did this come from and what's changed and and th those two pretty easy answers. Where it came from? I mean, optometry literally almost created co-management uh, back in the early '80s. Paula Jamian was basically the primary person that went to CMS and said, hey, this post-op thing's not working for us. It's not fair. Patients want to come see us. We shouldn't work for free. We got to do something. And I mean, the, the system was put into place. And so the next question about, um, you know, what has changed? Um, the answer is nothing. Um, nothing's changed. So you have to go back to what were the original rules that were put into place a very, very long time ago. And those rules really have not changed at all. Uh, it's just things have happened to bring those rules to the forefront. So what were the original tenants of co-management? And you can find these basically in CMS policy. Uh, many of the uh, admins, many, they have the same policies. The American Academy of Ophthalmology has policy. Uh, cataract and refractive, American Cataract and Refractive Surgeons, they have policies. Um, so everybody's got policies, and the policies all say basically the exact same thing. So there's, there's definite steps that lead to legal co-management and the first one is the one that i i really for for years i stood at a podium and said this is bs but 
the surgeon is the one that determines whether co-management is happening or not. Um, and that, you know, once we get our ego aside, that absolutely makes sense. Yes, it's our patient, blah, blah, blah. But this is the person that just cut on someone, and they certainly have a obligation, if nothing else, um, to monitor the success of, of the surgery. So, um, you know, they're the ones that really are the ones that say, yes, I want to co-manage. No, I don't. And CMS says that has to be a per patient decision. It can't be a blanket policy. So you can't have a surgery center that just says, our policy is we return all our patients to the optometrist at day two or at week one or whatever the policy is. It has to be determined on a per patient basis. Then the next step is the patient has to agree that they want this to happen. And there's a whole list of reasons why you can do co-management, but almost none of them apply to the relationship between optometry and ophthalmology. The only one that really matters is the patient wants their optometrist to conduct their post-operative care. And certainly we are in a position to explain that to them up front and make it clear that we want to do that, we can do that, um, but it's actually the patient that has to decide. So that decision from the ophthalmologist has to be in writing, the decision from the patient has to be in writing. There has to be a formal transfer of care, which is an interesting concept because the word co-management is a made-up term and means nothing. There is no co-management going on. It's a transfer of care. When the optometrist takes over the care of the patient, that's literally what they're doing. The ophthalmologist is out. It is the optometrist in charge. They have the patient. They're responsible. It's a complete transfer of care. Now, here's the two points that, that are kind of have been really brought to the forefront. For this to all be legal, the ophthalmologist has to set their own fees and charge their patient and collect their money, and the optometrist has to do the same thing. And then the last point is everything we ask a patient to pay us for has to be documented based on medical necessity in the patient's medical record. That's legal co-management. Uh, it's very black and white. There's no gray. There's no interpretation about what does transfer of care mean. There's no interpretation about you have to set your own fees. It's very, very black and white. Those rules have not changed all the way up to 2023. Got it. So, but we're now getting in, uh, the, the DOJ is starting to look at this a lot more, correct? Yeah. Well, and, and they're starting to, I, I don't want to say enforce it, but they're, we're seeing more cases around it. Yeah, there's, there's two reasons why it is now, you know, hot topic. Uh, this is nothing new, the first thing you have to do. The Academy of Ophthalmology and ASCRIS have petitioned CMS for decades to look into the relationship between optometry and ophthalmology. Every time they did that, they said the relationship stinks, that there's bad stuff going on, that optometrists are being paid and blah, blah, blah. But CMS would do nothing about it, and nobody else did anything about it. Basically, they said, we're just going to evaluate this on a case-by-case -case basis. What really turned this has really nothing to do with co-management of cataract surgery as we used to know it. It's when premium IOLs hit the market. And now we have checks being sent to the OD from the 
uh, surgeon for the management or whatever we want to call it, post-operative care of the premium IOL. As you, if you can just take your optometry hat off for a minute and say, mm -hmm. I'm a patient going to Dr. Deloach and my surgery was conducted by Dr. Smith, why is Dr. Smith paying Dr. Deloach for me to come back over here? That doesn't seem mm -hmm. right. And we, no. we actually know that's not exactly what's going on, but to the layperson, it makes perfect sense. Why is money being exchanged in a relationship between a referring doctor to a referred doctor? So this mm -hmm. resulted in whistleblower actions. So the public actually came out and said, we think there's you know a rooster in the hen house here. And once that happened, there were so many of these that CMS turned the investigation over to the uh, Department of Justice. And five major centers, uh, referral centers in the United States were investigated over the past two or three years. And the outcome from every one of those was exactly the same, which is there's a rooster in the hen house. <laughs> because of the process and the way it was being handled. Because of the process, yeah. Because mainly this, this payment going back to the OD based on a fee that nine times out of 10 the ophthalmologist set and money that the ophthalmologist collected mm -hmm and then sent to the optometrist, which breaks the tenets of the co-management law. And in every one of the five cases that were decided, that's ultimately what the problem was, is you can't pay for this. Now, here's, here, Aaron, is, the, is the, I'm dominating the conversation, but it's hard to break the train of thought here. No, no, you're, you're, keep going. But here's, here's the major problem, and I hate to say this, the biggest problem was optometry, not ophthalmology. Because remember that last point we made about your medical record has to justify what you are being asked to pay for. So in these mm -hmm. five cases, these five centers, there were thousands of OD records that were audited to say, this surgeon sent you $400, $600, $1,000. Sometimes the numbers get staggering. Um, show me in your medical record what you did that was medically necessary for this money. And there was not one single medical record that passed muster. There's not one single medical record that could justify being paid a whole bunch of extra money above and beyond the standard co-managed, the standard post-operative fee for a standard IOL. And that's when it hit the fan. And that's the major issue in this whole process. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So the, the, so that, that put a lot of spotlight then on, I'm trying to think um, and, and put all my thoughts together. So we have a, a, a spotlight now down on co-management, which isn't co-management, it's transfer of care, but we'll call it co-management. Yeah. And we were being, uh, optometrists were being cut a check by the surgery centers for uh, for the, that co-management 
when in reality the patient was paying it, but it wasn't coming from the patient. It was coming from the the, uh, the surgery center, right? And then the the documentation wasn't reflective of the work being done or the yeah. the payment um, for uh, for the work that was done. Yeah. So the ultimate the ultimate problem is. So I'm looking at a medical record that shows that really there was not much of anything done that was truly medically necessary. Now, look, there were a lot of charts that said, oh, we do an OCT every month and we conduct a visual field at six weeks and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, based on what? So premium IOL patients all of a sudden need more OCTs or visual fields. And it's like, oh, well, you know, they have more complaints and we don't know why. It's like, really? I mean, we know why they have complaints. They have bizarre optics inside their eye. It's not because their retina went bad. So they couldn't do that. So what could we write down in a medical record that justified getting all this money? And the answer is it's very difficult to do. Um, The whole thing, again, was started by optometry saying, well, wait a minute, though. You know, all this cataract surgery, I I feel like I'm talking bad about our own profession. I'm really not. But... Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Um, so it was all fine until premium IOLs came around. It's like, well, that ophthalmologist is getting four, five, six thousand dollars more on this cataract patient, and I'm getting nothing. So that's not fair. Well, the problem is that the the postoperative fee is related to the service, not the material. So there is no, there's nothing in the material fee that the ophthalmologist is collecting that we have any claim to. What we have to do is say, based on the surgery and them getting a multifocal or a toric or whatever the heck they got, we had to do more medically necessary work and therefore we deserve more money. And can it be done? Well, that, uh, to be honest with you, that's still up to debate. Um, but so far, it yeah. has not shown to be able to be done. So we have all five of the sites have been concluded. And I, I think a lot of people have heard the outcome, but I'll review it just so we make it complete. Yeah, please. Uh, site one was vindicated. Uh, which was interesting because I don't know why they picked site one because site one was doing absolutely nothing wrong. They were actually doing the whole co-management process exactly the way it was supposed to be done. Uh, therefore, no, no, you know, no harm, no foul. Site number two went down for two point nine million dollars. Site three went down. Actually, I back up. Site two actually, the ophthalmologist is in federal prison, but it's not because of co-management. Really? Yeah, it's not because of co-management. Okay. <laughs> It's because when they went to look at co-management, they found a whole bunch of other stuff. Got it. Well, that's an outlier case. Site number three pays $2.9 million in fines. Not really fines. They call it a settlement, and I'll get to that concept in a minute. $2.9 million settlement. Uh, Site four, $1.1 million settlement. And site five, $17 million settlement. Um you know, settlements are interesting. Um, I always like to look at the uh, what was it? the Monsanto case, you know, the Roundup case where mm-hmm. Monsanto yep. settled for four or forty billion. I can't remember which it was, 
but they settled and part of the settlement was two very interesting things number one by settling i i have done nothing wrong so i'm innocent number two i get to keep selling roundup that's a very interesting settlement so yeah. what's getting around now is you know we settled just so all this will go away um 17 million dollar check is a big check just so it'll all go away that's baloney that's mm -hmm. baloney. um now we can call it a settlement and i i understand that settlements are the preferred way of eliminating these cases and getting them all put to bed but to say we just settled so that everybody can just go home and go about their business that's baloney um i don't believe it for a second so yes there were big money involved now to take the words out of your mouth as i probably will it's like but ophthalmologists paid all that money didn't they and the answer is yes they did and so the the question mm -hmm. is why hasn't an optometrist written one of these checks and it's a very simple answer uh that has two answers really number one the whistleblower action was not against the optometrist the whistleblower action was against the ophthalmologist so the cases were against ophthalmology not optometry so that's who got to pay the fine they're the ones that ultimately said mm -hmm. they did something bad but number two could it be an optometrist and, and you know this is where i've kind of become the spokesperson i think um almost in the country about we've got to do this the right way because if if the public is going i don't understand why you're getting a check then it's very easy for the public to go you must be doing something wrong too i'm going to call you in as well it, as as much as i hate to say it it is almost inevitable that it's going to happen um everyone has to remember these whistleblowers make scads of money turning people mm -hmm. and it's it's just I, I don't want to see this happen to optometry which is i guess why i'm kind of on a rampage about this because it's going to happen if people keep doing what they're doing well i, I like the idea of and I, I simplify all of this down to me at least of just knowing the rules of the game and playing the game according to the rules and, That's, and just uh, because you haven't gotten caught yet doesn't mean you should or could or you know ought to be skirting rules yeah yeah, it's, you know, we, we did a talk some time ago about, um, you know, just because I bill something a certain way and I get paid, that doesn't mean it was legal. Um, well, you know, right. if, if I'm doing co-management illegally, um, no, I actually have this in, in several of my lectures, just like laws are never a problem until they are. Um, but this... <laughs> This is a law, you know, you know, I can, I can drive 90 on the interstate all day long and it doesn't matter until the red lights go off behind me. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I fear is going to happen. There is, uh, the government is obviously starting to take action on something that they've avoided taking action on for literally decades. And I just don't want to see our profession hung up in this. There's, it's a very, very simple solution and you said it just do it the way you're supposed to do it yep. so to that point what is the right way of doing it 
Yeah. You've got to work okay. with a surgeon that mm -hmm. do a written formal transfer of care. You have to make sure that the patient has a signed declaration that they want this to happen. Then you don't really care what the ophthalmologist does from their fee standpoint. You have no say-so over that, just like they have no say-so over yours. You have to set your own fees for your, for your co-management of a standard IOL. And everybody thinks, well, that's just 20% of the surgery fee. Not really. Uh, you can, it's, it's nothing else. It's just like setting a fee for your visual field. You set whatever fee you want to and should. Now, what the insurance is going to pay you, that may be a whole different question. But your usual and customary fee can be whatever you set it to be. Um, then, if you're going to charge extra for premium IOLs, and that's, that, that one is going to be determined somewhere down the line, but it hasn't yet. Mm -hmm. And you have to set your fee for that well, for that as well. And then, you know, the, the whipping cream on the whole thing is you have to collect your money from your patient. You can't get a check from the ophthalmologist. Got it. So let's, let me ask a couple of, uh, of clarifying questions. We'll start from the last one. I have to collect the, the check from the patient. Can the, the surgery center collect two checks from the patient, one written to me and one written to them, or do I need to collect that check directly from the patient? Yeah. So, you know, when I said there's, this is very black and white, that the, the statements are very black and white. Sometimes the details can have interpretation. <laughs> and well, I'm an optometrist. I get lost in the weeds here. And uh, so the answer to <laughs> that specific question is, is, is we don't know, to be honest with you. Now, I think when you don't know, you kind of, I get this from Chris, when Chris Wolf and I talk a lot about stuff like this, it's like, okay, what was the intent? What's the intent? Mm -hmm. The intent is everybody charges and collects their own money for things they can justify they did. That's it in a nutshell. And it's no different than any other part of medical care. So if I have set my own fee and a surgery center, an ophthalmologist, knows what my fee is and to the benefit of the patient who is standing there goes in and said, look, you're going to go back and see Dr. Deloach in a week or tomorrow or whatever it is. And you know, Dr. Deloach gets paid for their part of the, the post-operative care and you owe, you know, Dr. Deloach, whatever. And they collect that yep. check made out to me. Have I violated the intent of the law? And I'm telling you, Aaron, I almost hate to answer this question because I'm not an attorney and I don't even think an attorney can answer this question. It's all going to be opinion. But I don't think we've particularly broken the intent or the spirit of the law. I still set my own fee. I still did the care just because they made it convenient and had the patient write the check there. I don't know. But like I said, yeah. that has not been determined. No, nope. and I think that's fair. I, I also think that, again, not a lawyer, but if I've, they know my fee, my fee doesn't fluctuate based on their fee because it's my fee. And, and we have a signed agreement from the patient. So I'm assuming that's part of this is mm -hmm. you know, after your surgery, when, when, you know, the surgeon is done, they're going to, to be sent back to me and I'm going to continue the care and take over the care at that point. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and the patient signs it, agrees it. They understand my fees ahead of time. Uh, I, I would be happy to articulate that at least today uh, in front of anybody asking. Yeah, you know, there's there's always in in all compliance, whether it be HIPAA, OSHA, or COMASH, or whatever it is. There's typically always three answers. There's the hard line, black and white. Let's not deviate an inch, okay, a millimeter. Then there's the, you know, this probably is okay, and the only way we would ever know whether it totally is or isn't is in a court. And then the third one is, you know, get your checkbook out because you're going to write a big one. Um, yeah. That's the one you definitely have to avoid. And let me, let me come back to that concept in a minute. So what we just discussed, I think, is in that middle. You know, it's mm-hmm. probably okay. But I don't think anyone can guarantee. Now, I also don't think when you're in that middle of the road area that you're going to be writing $17 million checks to the government. You may be told you can't do it this way, or you may even get slapped a little bit, but not like what's going on. That's not going to happen. So every OD, every doctor has to decide where where am I on this? Am I going to walk the straightest possible line so that no one can say I've done anything wrong? Set your own fee, collect your own money, which means they write the check to you or whatever. Am I okay with the middle of the road? Hey, look, healthcare is practiced in the middle of the road. Compliance is practiced in the middle of the road. And so mm-hmm. I, just, I think we have to have some leniency of some degree there. Unfortunately, even with all the information going around, we have a bunch of our colleagues still doing number three because the ophthalmologist is still doing number three. And mm-hmm. at this point, and I'm going to be very blunt and tell you why they're doing it. They're doing number three because they are afraid if they say they won't collect the money that you won't refer to them. That's, I hate to put it that way, but I have literally had, we were, so back up a little bit, as you know, but the audience doesn't, I mean, PCS was a consultant on one of these sites. And that's how we know the inside of this. Other than being a compliance company, uh, we were on the inside of this whole thing. And I literally had one of these sites tell me the number one reason we do this is because we don't want to lose the optometrist referral. So it's back on our back again. I mean, we should not be demanding that. We should be saying, heavens no, you don't pay me for referrals. I collect my own money. And nothing like this co-management thing happens outside of optometry and ophthalmology. It's weird. So you've ne- you've never had it is a weird relationship. Yeah, you've never had cardiologists and cardiovascular surgeons going, "Oh, wait a minute, I'll collect your money and send you a check," or you know, it just doesn't happen. So, I, I you know, I, to me, I like I like the number one. That's just me. Mm-hmm. But of course, I'm a I'm a compliance company, straight line, <laughs> no deviation from the rules. I mean. I have to advise what Stay I in the black. Yeah, I have I have to advise what I know no one's going to get in trouble for. And I know if you set your own fees, fees and collect your own money and document in your medical record that you can justify the care you delivered, nothing's happening to you. 
Nope, that's that's driving 65. You're always going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, they can't give you a ticket for driving the speed limit. Nope. So how would you... So since it keeps getting put back on the optometrist's shoulders, how would you advise that we then approach our surgeons? I've got a strong network in San Diego. They're fantastic. And so I would communicate with them and say, hey, these are... These are my fees. I would still like to send you cases that I that I feel are appropriate for you to do surgery on. You do your deal. Um, when you're done, you know, please send them back. Hopefully, with the the patients, um, you know, wanting to do that. I was going to say consent, but we need their consent. Right. And I think part of that is on me before I send the patient over, setting those expectations uh, of communicating with them what the surgeon's going to do, and then what what my role is afterwards. Yeah. Um, have them go see the surgeon and then the, the patient comes back and day one of, of post-op care when I take over, collect that check from them. Couldn't have summarized it better myself. Now, you made one other very, very good point, Aaron, too, and that is this should never be a problem because before we ever send a patient over for cataract surgery or LASIK surgery or whatever it is, we should be explaining all this to them up front. We shouldn't put any of this on the burden of the surgeon to explain how co-management works and explain that they're going to go back to the optometrist. That's our job. So we should have all of this set up up front. Now, in also in answer to your questions, like, you know, well, what do I do? You know, I, I tell my ophthalmologist this is the way I want to do it. And the answer is absolutely. Um, because you want to abide strictly by the law. Now that's becoming mm-hmm. less of a problem because they've seen the 1.1 and the 2.9 and the 17. Believe me, uh, it's disseminating to the ophthalmology community that uh, there's a line to walk here. And from what I'm gathering, most are starting to really walk a line on this. Some are not, some are not, but I can only protect myself. Uh, so. I go to the ophthalmologist and say, this is the way I want to do it. And they go, we don't do business that way. I'm, I'm, I find another surgeon. I mean, I know it's kind of blunt, but yeah. I got to protect myself. I don't care about, you know, I care about them as a colleague, but not to put me in trouble. So I've got to say, I want to oh, do of course. it this way because this is the right way to do it. And there's no reason we shouldn't be doing it this way. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes a hundred percent sense. Out of curiosity, how often recently or what have you been asked recently on, on different ways of trying to to not get around or skirt, but different ways on trying to make the process easier, let's say, or, yeah. or work better? Have you been asked any questions yeah. by by either side? Yeah, both sides. Um, so these these ideas have come up from both sides of the, of the equation. Um, certainly the collecting of the check at the surgery center site is one of those mm-hmm. ways. Um, sometimes they will say, um, here's your, here's your, like your, I've seen this, here's your uh, post-operative uh, instructions. You're going to go see Dr. Deloach, you know, in a week. And we are providing Dr. Deloach with your credit card number that you paid our bill with uh, so that he can go ahead and process that payment for your services uh, as well. Eh, I don't guess really it's technically much different than collecting a check 
I don't know why it doesn't set with me as well, but again, I can't say there's anything wrong with it. Uh, Number three, and the most interesting, and this is one of those, you know, why didn't I think of Amazon? Um, There's there's a company called Ko-Fi, and it's Mm co-management financing, Ko-Fi. And what they do, it's, it's a simple software program that's run like a credit card. So it's set up with the surgery center, the ophthalmologist. Um, they program in their fees. They program in my fees. Uh, when the patient pays their fees, they give a credit card. The credit card, the, the payment actually goes to Ko-Fi. And the Ko-Fi then distributes the money based on your individual fees. So each person, is, each entity is paid from Ko-Fi with a small administrative fee, much like a credit card processing fee. Why didn't I think of this? Um, they are killing it all across the country. Good for yeah. them. It's, it, is, it, it appears to be a 100% legal and wonderful way to solve this problem. And I, I have no interest in them. I'm not endorsing them per se. Uh, I'm jealous. Why didn't I think of this? Um, yeah, well, that's a know. very unique and novel, novel yeah. approach and idea, and simple. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's more than just Ko-Fi at this point. Uh, I don't know other companies to call them out, so I'm not really endorsing Ko-Fi, but I am endorsing the concept. And I think there are more companies than just Ko-Fi doing this. That model. No, I like that. Here's a question for you. The so I sent a patient over. They they see the surgeon. They elect to have their surgery. Um, they pay the center. Uh, they pay Kofi, right? The maybe they even they they pay me. Do you see any concerns with me collecting those fees before I've offered or before I've done my 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 part of the job? Yeah. So that is debated among coding gurus all the time um so you know you ask rompakasis he'll give you one answer you ask chris you know all of us i think the best answer because it is to me it is kind of gray but to me i would not Mm -hmm. be collecting money before i delivered the service um so i would collect it once i have um you know provided that at least the initial visit at checkout just like i would anything else you know, I did your eye exam. I did your glaucoma check today. I go to checkout and I pay for services. Um, it's the cleanest. Certainly, certainly avoids any gray whatsoever. Um, I like it yeah. the best. Well, it feels better for me too. And you know, ninety nine percent of cases, that at least that we've seen with our surgeons, everything's fine. Yeah. Um, but that one case where where you know I want the surgeon to keep it because something's going on. And, and they need to be the ones dealing with it as the surgeon right now. You know, I don't want to be sitting on, uh, on monies for work that I haven't done. Yeah. And, yeah. And let me, let me, that, that leads to a really good point I want to make. And that is nationally, what, what, if, what is the, what is the bounce back from this? What's happening uh, since this, these big numbers and all this problem starts getting disseminated? I mean, what's been the response in ophthalmology? In ophthalmology, I think the predominant response is we have to get our act together and do this the right way. As usual, not everybody does that. Uh, Some people still want to walk a line or, 
you know, push the envelope a little bit. But uh, and I'm not calling them bad people or illegal or whatever. But um, I think ophthalmology has kind of had a shot across the bow, and they're going. We don't want to write one of those checks. So big referral centers are hiring lawyers. They're hiring consultants. They're talking to people like PCS about how do we do this? And the crazy thing is, it's simple as pie. Just do the five steps. It's this is no big deal. No one no one can write you a ticket for driving the speed limit. The 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 poor response, the bad response, the unfortunate response I'm seeing from an optometry side is many of our colleagues are going, you know what? This is just too complicated. I'm scared. I don't want to do co-management anymore. Just keep the patient and send them back to me when you're done. Now our colleagues have always had that right to make that decision. And, and I'm not going to fault anyone for saying, I just don't want to do co-management. Um, you know, it's just not worth it or I don't, you know, whatever their reasons are, I don't fault any optometrist for making that decision. But I don't want to make, I don't want them to do that out of fear. Because if you're doing it the right way, there's no fear. There shouldn't be fear. Mm-hmm. Because no one can, again... I mean, how many times are we going to say you can't get a ticket for driving the speed limit? So I don't want people to abandon, you know, what we've been doing that we fought to be able to do simply because some ophthalmologists got caught and had to write a big check and there may be more coming. So I don't like that. I, I, I don't want people to make decisions based on fear like that. Um, I think you did a may have done a podcast with chris i'm not sure about about audits you know and it's like why do people stop don't do so much medical care because they're afraid they're going to get audited it's the same thing you don't have to fear being audited if you do things the right way oh exactly so i wouldn't say you welcome it because you could you know you're doing it the right way and you get to show off a little bit but yeah you're certainly not afraid of it no no you're gonna get audited i was listening to you joe it yeah, you're going to get audited. Um, while I was listening to you, it, it, the thought crossed my mind. I, I, I'm not a bis, uh, binocular vision doc, and, but I certainly respect it and yep. what they do, and we refer a lot of patients out to it. When I send a patient to the uh, my BV docs that I refer to in San Diego, yeah, yeah. Um, I tell them what to expect. I tell them they're going to go work with them. Typically, it's going to be you know, 8, 16 weeks, however many weeks that, that I think they're going to put in there, but that doc is the expert they're going to, to manage financially with them. And when you're done, they're going to release you back to me and then we'll continue with, with the care and monitoring. And should I need to send you back again, I will. And I've never gotten a check from my binocular vision docs. Um, uh, they bill for the work they do. I bill for the work I do. Uh, to me, it's, it, this is just that. Yeah. This is, this is a very simple issue Oh, do I say this and let you broadcast it all across the country? This is a very simple issue that got caught up in money. And most every time when money gets involved in the decision, things are going to go wrong. Um, so, and, and you know, Aaron, well, I think you, it got caught up in money and it, I was going to say it got caught up in money, but it also got caught up in this is the way we've always done things. No, oh, and, that's a, and that's and, a very good point because I, I get this too. It's like, 
you know, I, I heard your lecture, or I, I heard somebody's lecture, I know about the cases, but my ophthalmologist told me that, you know, these are isolated, and they were doing bad things, and that's why they had to pay the money, and we don't really need to do anything any different because this is overblown. I don't know, $17 million check to me is not overblown. Uh, no. And there is no doubt in my mind that if a whistleblower went into Aaron Werner's practice, and, and which you're not getting checks, so they went into Joe Deloach's practice, which yep. doesn't exist, um, and said, you know, why are you getting a check? And I'm like, well, because, you know, that's the way this is, because this is the way we've always done it. And they call up CMS and go, they said this is the way they're always doing it, but it doesn't seem right to me. What are you going to do about it? I am defenseless. I mean, that argument of this is the way we've always done it is defenseless when the way we've always done it was wrong. Yeah. Well, that's the wrong answer, period. I, I, I don't care what we're looking at. If the answer is that's the way we've always done it, you might be doing it the right way, Yeah. but that's not the right answer. Yeah. Right? You got to explain why you're doing it. And you have to be able to defend why you're doing it, why you make pasta the way you make pasta, why you bill the way you bill. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that this is the way we've always done it is a red flag for we got to figure out if that's really the right way to keep doing it. Yeah. And the right way to doing it is very simple. That's what kind of blows me away about all the attention to this is the solution is incredibly simple. It is. I think the attention's there because the money's there and money's emotional. And yeah. it's... We're looking at something that we haven't had to look at before, and uh, and we're fearful that our relationships with our surgeons are going to change. Probably just like they're fearful their relationships with us is going yeah. to change. And look, a, a good optometrist and a good surgeon with a good open communication should have no fear in this. Absolutely none. I don't know if you if you have on your list of questions. I may jump ahead of you here, and I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, but, please do. Um. This question steal away. always comes up, and that is, what does this have to do with LASIK? And there's two answers to this. Number one, LASIK is a non-covered service, and mm -hmm. the anti-kickback statute. Oh, let me let me back up just a second, and and explain why people are getting in trouble. So it's not that we just didn't do it the right way. Here's the problem. If I get a check from my surgeon for 500 bucks or whatever the check amount is, if I get a check and somebody comes in and looks at my record and says, I don't see $500 worth of medically necessary work here you can't explain to me why you got all this money. Therefore, it's pretty easy for me to conclude that this is referral money. This is an inducement. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. That's the problem. So in LASIK, the anti-kickback statute, the False Claims Act, all of these regulatory laws don't have anything to do with LASIK. So on the one hand, we can say it would seem logical that all of this co-management stuff has no bearing on our operations related to LASIK surgery. 
they can send me a check all day long and there's no law that prevents that because there are no protocols. There's no laws related to that. And I would have to answer, you are exactly correct. Um, there are two things that you need to know, though. Number one, in some of the discovery, LASIK charts were, were requested, which is very interesting since they really don't have any reason or right to look at them. They, they were LASIK and a couple of PRKs that were corrections for post-operative amyotropia. So we missed it on the IOL for whatever reason. We corrected it. That, that were the records that were requested. So they're kind of associated, but it's still interesting they were looking at them. Number two, if we can just all agree, and, and I don't expect everyone to agree with me on this because I'm just a stickler for kind of the way I look at things, and maybe I'm not always right and probably not. But why is this any different? I mean, it, it in cataract post, post-operative, we have a law that says it has to be done this way because doctors shouldn't be sending money to each other when they're exchanging patients back and forth. So philosophically, right. how is that different than LASIK, even though there's no law preventing it? So... My recommendation, and I've said this many, many times on the podium, is your LASIK stuff should be no different. You set your own fee. You collect your own money from the patient for the work you did. How can anyone ever debate that or get in trouble for that, even if the government comes back and go, you know, we need to go back and look at that because we don't think that's all cool either. Uh, it's, it's a philosophy of referrals that, it just seems to be a line that we that we pass when we're not in control of our fees and we're not in control of money exchange. Yeah. Well, from a simplicity standpoint, it why have two different systems, especially when quite often your your LASIK surgeon and your cataract surgeon are one and the same. Yeah, which brings up another interesting point to the sinister co-management people. And that is, if, if we can't prove it on that side, then maybe you're sending all those cataract surgeries because you're getting all this money for the LASIK stuff. Is that the inducement why you send? See, you have to almost think evil. Ooh, that's an interesting that's angle. the way yeah. the government thinks. And the anti-kickback statute and the False Claims Act say inducement should, will be liberally interpreted and it does not have to be proven. So literally the government can just come in and say, based on what we see going on, we consider this to be inducement. Which you definitely don't want to be a part of. No. No. No, I, I, it, it makes sense to me because this is not even just you know, OD to OD referral when I send to any other uh, surgeon or specialist, my retina, you know, neuro, whomever. Uh, it, I follow the same process I would with the, the binocular vision example. Yeah. You know, they do yeah. their thing. They send them back. I do my thing. You know, we, we said that very from the beginning. There, this whole cataract post-operative thing is an anomaly in referral relationships between doctors. It's a complete anomaly. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but it, it makes perfect sense, and it is. Yeah. It's the, the one unique relationship we seem to uh, 
we seem to have. And, and I'll be honest, I much more value the relationships with the surgeons that I have when uh, I know they're good surgeons. I know them by name. I can call them and talk to them about cases. Yeah. And it's not about the, 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 what am I giving you or what are you giving me? It's about the, how can we take care of our patient, which I think by far and away, optometry is very good at. We want to make sure the patient gets taken care of. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm going to agree with you that I think, and I think I already said this, I think 90% of the ophthalmologists out there are wanting exactly the same thing. They want good care for the patient done in an ethical manner. Everyone wins and we don't break any laws. Pretty simple way to practice medicine. And medicines uh, and billing and coding is uh, complex enough. I like simple. <laughs> well, we can debate that. <laughs> it's not that whether I, whether I like simple or whether. <laughs> no, no, no the, the billing and coding is that complicated. It's not that complicated. But uh. well, that's why you, that's why that's why you and Chris and John have jobs. Because uh, we all agree it's not that complicated. Guys like me think it's complicated. <laughs> Well, you do a good job of making it not. So, um, no, I appreciate the, uh, the conversation here. So should, uh, should we have more questions, um, either from the, the OD side or the MD side, the surgery yeah. side, what's the best place to go to get just reassurance that what you're telling us is, is the right way to go? Yeah. Um, of course, anybody can contact me. Um, mm -hmm. Joe at pcscomply.com. Um, I answer any questions, whether you're a client of the company or not. So anyone can send their concerns to me. Um, uh, anyone certainly has the right to hire legal counsel. Um, and some have done that. And I would only encourage if somebody, especially our colleagues, uh, choose to do that, do not ask the attorney who negotiated your lease. Um, you need to go to a board-certified healthcare attorney that knows healthcare law, um, and you'll probably still get a whole lot of black, a whole lot of gray. Um, but sometimes that's all, all any of us can do. Um, but in this case, like I said, most of this is very black and white. So you can ask people, you know. Chris is another person I think that has a handle on this pretty well. Uh, John does. There's probably others. Um, ask your colleagues, and if you want to go beyond them, you know I, I see no other resource but uh, a real healthcare attorney. Got it. That makes sense. And I would I would counsel too that if you're trying to find a way around something, I I, I believe that all of us were built with a moral compass. And so if the, the idea is I'm going to keep asking until I get the answer I want, it's probably not the right answer. Yeah. 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 Every, and, and that comes up. You're exactly right. Cause that comes up a lot. It's like, well, do you think this will work? And it's like immediately, it's <laughs> like, you're just not thinking about this the right way. <laughs> just do it the right way and don't worry about it. And it'll be simple. And then when you're controlling your fees too, the other uh, aspect I like this a lot is that you're, you're charging appropriately for your services. Right? Yes. My fees don't have to match yours and they shouldn't, but here's what, here's the time that I value. Here's what I put into it. Here's what I'm, what I have decided that this time and effort and, and service is worth. And that's what I'm going to bill. Yeah. And, and that, that puts you in control of the justification. 
So if you set a fee of 500 bucks and someone wants to say, what'd you do for 500 bucks? It's, it's like, this was my expertise. This was blah, 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 blah. But if someone else paid you 500 bucks, they have to justify what you did. And that's where it becomes a problem. So there's no problem with setting your own fees and collecting your own money for whatever fee you want. But like you said, it puts you in the driver's seat. And then all you have to do is explain your own actions. But you don't have to explain some relationship where money bent back and forth between people. And that just feels a whole lot better. Yeah. So, cool. Well, it's uh, we've been chatting for almost an hour on uh, on what sounds like a simple topic. But uh, but certainly an exciting topic and one that is is everywhere yeah. right now. Yeah. So, cool. Well, Joe, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you always helping us uh, avoid those alligators. And uh, as long as we're you know, keeping our heads out of the stand and and questioning, you know, am I doing things the right way? Can I do better? And just if uh, if, if this is the way I've always done them, you know, challenging ourselves on that. Yeah, you know, you know, short people have to really be able to fend off alligators because our rear end's closer to the ground. <laughs> uh, tall, short, or nothing. I just got to make sure there's somebody next to me I can trip. So I can <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. Well, I appreciate you always making time for, for us for these type of questions, for uh, the email responses, everything you do for uh, the optometry community, and for uh, you know, doing all the billing and coding stuff, making it simple for us. Um, just to, to make sure that we continue being able to take care of patients. I'm certainly not a nonprofit. I need the profit to invest back into the practice to take better care of them. And I couldn't do that without the reassurance that everything we're doing is right. It's easy to make money the right way. It is, and it's satisfying, and I sleep a whole lot better. Exactly. Great, Joe. Well, I will put your contact info in the show notes. So if anybody wants to reach out, they have all that and uh, look forward to talking next time. Absolutely. Thanks, Aaron.